Coplin Talk, everyone! Today we're going over chapters 4 and 5. This is episode 3 of The Great Hunt. We're going over chapter 4, Summoned, and chapter 5, The Shadow in Shinar. I'm very excited to get through these chapters. So much going on. Hi, it's Lily. Oh yeah, I'm Julia, by the way. Um, unfortunately for Lily, there is no Nynaeve in this chapter. There was a female perspective, but it was all Moraine. I would love to know how disappointed you were <laughs> when you realized that. I was actually pretty disappointed because I was very hyped for it to be Nynaeve. Because she's been forgotten about this entire book. It was Moraine. I wasn't mad about it, though, once we read the later two because there's so much information here very excited Nynaeve is mentioned I think once and that's all we get this whole book these four or five chapters that we've read she's been forgotten where is she this is kind of how she was introduced in Eye of the World right it was like whisperings and then she came I think in like chapter two or three or something and like hit Matt she has to make an entrance. Exactly. She has to make it interesting. But yeah, we are going to be talking about some Aes Sedai drama in this chapter. We're going to talk about a little bit of Arthur Hawkwing, some Leandrin mischief. Okay? A little bit. And then a little bit of your boys from Children of the Light. Okay? Oh yeah, they make a reappearance. Get ready for it. All right. Without further ado, let's jump right into the summary of this, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty, because this is quite the chonker of two chapters. Absolutely. Well, well, well. It's the return of Moraine. We open these chapters in the women's apartments in Faldara. Moraine is admiring herself in the mirror, putting her best Aes Sedai face on because she's been summoned by the Amarlin seat, and her bestie, Anaya Sedai, and her nevisister, nice. Leandrin Sedai, thank you, have arrived to escort her there. And the tensions between the blue and the red Ajas are immediately obvious. Leandrin, a red sister, has no greeting for Moraine other than, what are you hiding? While Anaya, a blue sister, fills Moraine in in all the latest gossip. Right now, there are three false dragons running around. The daughter heir of Andor has arrived in Tarvalin with her brother. The great hunt for the horn has been called an Ilian the first time in 400 years. <laughs> A little awkward. That's a bad news for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're going to find it. Joke's on them. And the Seafolk and the Aiel, two groups of people that the Aes Sedai know very little about, are stirring. Even Leandrin joins in on the gossip. There are rumors of fighting going on in Almuth Plain on the western shore. Dun dun dun. On the way to the Amarlin's room, the Aes Sedai run into Lady Amalisa, Lord Agomar's sister, and Moraine catches a glimpse of Egwene bossing around a suspiciously stooped-over servant who's carrying a bundle of clothes. Hmm, such initiative, Eggy. She has zeal, okay? Ah, oh, so much zeal. Eventually, they arrive in the Amarlin's room, let the summoning commence. But the Aes Sedai hanging outside her room are pretty mad at <laughs> Moraine. <laughs> Moraine tries to greet them with a how-do-you-do, fellow sisters, but gets straight-up ignored. Moraine is not popular with the other Aes Sedai right now, and the Amarlin isn't feeling too happy either. Remember Elida, that red sister that Rand met in the Queen's Court in Camelin? who had a foretelling about him that he would be at the center of the entire world's pain and division. Yeah, apparently she wasn't too happy that Rand got away from her, and also with a little help from a blue Aja sister, Moraine, that really pissed her off. Apparently, 
Elida left Camelin and has been telling everyone and their mother that Moraine has been helping a dangerous Taviran man, hence all the madge, I said I. Basically, Moraine is in big trouble and needs to explain herself here. The chapter ends with the Amarlin sending her number two, Liana, out of the room so Moraine can be chastened in private. As soon as Liana leaves the room, the Amarlin drops the facade with Moraine, wards the room against eavesdropping, and gives Moraine a big old bear hug because, yep, they're besties. Secretly working together for the past 20 years to find the dragon reborn at the risk of being stilled. A.K.A. cut off from the one power forever. A.K.A. the reason why most gentle men don't live very long. Swan, the Amarlin, is shook. Moraine is causing problems even back in Tarvalin. Her ability to cause problems is truly prolific. Things in the White Tower are precarious. The Aes Sedai are questioning the Amarlin seat like they never have before. The Greens and Reds of all Ajas are agreeing on punishments for Moraine. The Horn of Valir, which is prophesied to be needed right before the last battle, has been found, and we had a plan, Moraine! What happened to the plan to bring Rand to Tarvalin? But to make her feel better, Moraine takes Suan on a roller coaster of emotions. Gotta build her up to break her down, right? So, the high point, Moraine gives Suan a good old-fashioned pep talk to make her angry and get some fire back in her. But the low point, oh yeah, the seal on the Dark One's prison is breaking. And then they get down to business, planning their next steps on how to handle the Dragon Reborn. This is a really fun look into the plans that we never got to hear about in Eye of the World. This chapter also has new perspectives galore. We get a glimpse from Jeffrem Bornhold, the White Cloak who imprisoned Eggie and Perrin back in the day, who is moving White Cloak's forces around Terabond secretly. We also get a glimpse of Leandrin's visit with Amalisa, and it's not the slumber party that Amalisa had hoped for. We end the chapter with Pat and Fane down in his cell in the dungeon, greeting an unexpected guest. So Lily, do you have any initial reactions to reading everything in this chapter? Initially, when I read the first two, or re read both of these, uh, very unhappy that Geofram is back in our lives. Or Jeffram, I guess it's actually pronounced Jeffram. I think Geofram is, like, more appropriate, though. So when I heard his perspective, I was frustrated. Also kind of excited, because it's like, we're getting a whole new perspective on the world, and he's doing some shit on the far western shore. I don't know, it's pretty interesting, okay? Especially knowing what we know from the prologue, and that dark friends are being given orders, and one of the dark friends is a Children of the Light. So, like, every Children of Light, it's just, like, a little ears perk up. Hmm. What are they up to? Because we know at least one of them is getting orders directly from Balsy himself. Where's our boy Boars? Where's Straub? Let me know. I'm not a fan of Moraine, at least in the first half of the book. But I enjoy these perspectives because it's like, yes, we're getting a little more backstory on Moraine. We learn she's a royal, which is exciting. We learn about her bestie relationship with the Amelin, which has to be kept real secret. And their whole plan for 20 years. It's just so exciting. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's start at the very beginning of these two chapters because there is so much information packed in here and I want to kind of go through the little details that we haven't been going through as much lately and pick it apart a little bit, okay? Let's start with chapter four. So right at the very beginning, we're in Moraine's room with her. She's kind of putting on her mask and I really love this because we get a look into like 
her own feelings and how nervous she truly is and how she literally practices like putting on her Aes Sedai mask in the mirror before going to talk to people. The first thing I want to get into is she's wearing this thing called a shawl. And this is like Aes Sedai formal wear, pretty much. Every Aja has their own colorful shawl that they wear. It's got the color of their Aja on it and then the symbol of the Aes Sedai on the back. Big white flame. So everyone knows who they are. It's only worn in very formal occasions, so pretty much never outside of the White Tower, and even then, not very often. So the fact that Maureen is wearing it now is a big red flag that she's in trouble and trying to, like, appease people, you know? Like, she's, I'm part of the Tower, too, guys. Hey, guys, how long has it been since I was back <laughs> in the White Tower? You know, love ya. Why would she even have it with her? Well, that's what I want to know. Yeah, she says, like, it was just luck that she had it in her bag with her. And I'm like, there is no luck when it comes to Moraine. She does not take anything to chance. All right, quick backstory on Moraine again. As Robert Jordan loves to point out, she's not at all tall. He also loves to point out that Leandrin and Anaya are both taller than Moraine. So we get it, Robert. She's short. Thank you. He describes her as having a commanding grace that could dominate any gathering which is honestly a common trait among Aes Sedai, but Moraine learned this while growing up in the royal palace of Kyrian. So there's her confirmation. We don't know what her position was necessarily, but she grew up in the royal palace, so you gotta assume she's high up there. She is also wearing her super cool forehead jewelry. It's the Kisiera or something like that. And she's doing this specifically to throw off any of the Aes Sedai that came with the Amarlin because Moraine doesn't know who's here with her. So it could be like more frenemies, it could be all friends, but not very likely. She doesn't seem to have a ton of friends, really. But everyone knows that her little forehead jewelry is what she uses to like eavesdrop on people. And they don't know what else she does with it. So to her, this is to throw them off balance, to be like, maybe I'm hearing everything that you're thinking right now. Like, I don't know. It's more like Aes Sedai politicking, which I always really love to read about. And Moraine is very concerned about why the Amarlin came herself. Because, as Robert Jern describes, much of the calm was on the surface today for Moraine, not actually deep down. And Moraine thinks to herself, there must be trouble or she would not have come, she thought for the tenth time today. Sounds relatable. She's very anxious, but not showing it. And then we meet our first two Aes Sedai, Leandrin and Anaya. Of the rapid insistent knocking, who do you think that was on the door? Definitely Leandrin. Leandrin! Anaya is Blue Aja. She smiles as soon as she sees Moraine. She's got dark hair. Robert Jordan, I have a problem with him calling her not pretty unless she smiles. I'm sorry. Yeah, my dude, that's a bad look. I'm sorry, Robert. But she also makes people feel comforted, safe, and special, which is adorable, and it gives big sister vibes. She greets Moraine by saying, The light shine on you, Moraine. It's so good to see you again. Are you well? It's been so long. And Moraine replies, My heart is lighter for your presence, Anaya. I love it. Leandrin, on the other hand, is Red Aja. She's also wearing her red shawl. She's described as young and pretty with a doll's face and a small petulant mouth. I love that he called her mouth petulant. She also wears her hair in lots of braids. So I included a picture of Leandrin from the show because I felt like they did an interesting job of showing what that might look like. She's 
blonde in the show and then her braids are kind of like all swept back yeah she wears lots of braids it's very reminiscent of wherever she's from taraban taraban she's got darker eyes and eyebrows robert jordan knew that trend mm. was going to be on trend Absolutely. all right he predicted it first and the only thing she says to Moraine is the Omerlin seat, she requires your presence, sister. Her voice was petulant, too, and cold-edged. Leandrin always sounded dissatisfied with something, so she sounds like a great time. Oh, yeah. To Leandrin, she knows enough of the Aes Sedai politicking to know, like, the blues are, like, the sneaky spies. They're always fucking up to something. And she also knows that the Amarlin used to be blue, that Liana's blue. I guess I can understand, like, the general mistrust and, like, the frustration that you might have, but, like, can't really say it outwardly because, you know, this is your boss. It's your mother, okay? Yeah, she's aggressive. I understand. It's also understandable for her to not really like Moraine because this is also kind of my reaction to Moraine, you know? It's just like, yo, you don't tell anyone anything. You think that you're smarter than everyone else, okay, and that you're above any type of punishment, which, as we see, she is. So I get it. I get why people fr are frustrated. For sure. And this is actually the first, what I would call the red versus blue moment of these two chapters that's spoken out loud because Leandrin immediately picks up on the fact that Moraine is warding her room against people entering it. So everyone... No one else can come in, and Leandrin's like, why are you warding against your sisters, bro? Moraine is, dodges the question by saying that it's warding against everyone, and there was no reason to, you know, differentiate before now, because the sisters weren't here, and she had no freaking warning that they were coming. But, of course, we know that Moraine's got some secrets hidden in there that no one else can go see, so she does have stuff to hide. I thought she answered it generally good she's like you know people now i'm i said i they i don't want them snooping through my shit it's all truthful but they're making their way to the armalins room and this is where they kind of get into the gossip we also get to see how much respect normal people give to Aes Sedai. Everyone they pass on their way is curtsying like lower than they would curtsy for Lord Agalmar. They're honored if they get acknowledged at all. I loved that both Mo and Anaya would acknowledge the people who are curtsying to them while Leandrin just straight up ignores them like she doesn't care. She's like, that's what I'm owed. But this is only in Shinar. Like, this is not how they're treating Aes Sedai and, like, Gamelin. Yeah, very true. So let's get into the first bit of gossip then. There are currently three false dragons running around in the world, which is just crazy because, as Moraine says, there were three false dragons in the last two years and now there's three more all at once very suddenly very disconcerting i'm sure this contributed to why the Aes Sedai are really pissed at moraine potentially running around with a dangerous man who they don't know is apparently a taviran or something and elida had a foretelling about him like oh god this is the second instance of a red versus blue moment because leandrin as they're talking about the three false dragons is like whatever they'll be taken care of like they always are and then Moraine takes this moment to jump straight into a classic Moraine lecture on Leandrin about like, actually, um, don't you remember Loghain's army killing Aes Sedai and causing mass chaos before his capture? Okay, these are no laughing matter. And Leandrin just is like, I did not ask for this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man. This is a Wendy's. It is. Yeah. Loghain is in Tarvalon. He's gentled and yeah, no threat. Okay. I believe so. Okay, so the three dragons 
false dragons that are out right now. There's one in Saldea. This one can channel. There's one in Morandi who's already in chains. He was dealt with quickly. Um, people theorize later on in the chapter that it's because the area is very unstable. There's lots of like mini states kind of fighting for control and they're always worried that the others are trying to take territory. And so it sounds like they thought that maybe the dragon was being used as like a front to take more territory. So <laughs> they all banded together to be like, no, we're just gonna take this guy down because we got enough to deal with. So this guy's gone. And then we have one more in tier who's currently getting harried through a town called Haddon Merc. So they're kind of getting dealt with. The one in Saldea though, can channel, that's a big problem. Yeah. That's just like Loghain, he could be dangerous. The one in tier, people in tier hate Aes Sedai. So like, what is that one doing? Right. I know. What did he think he was going to accomplish there? He's like, why don't you love me? I am the prophesied savior or destroyer of the world. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like all of these houses have been burned down because someone drew the yeah. dragon's fang for no reason. And he's probably going crazy. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the map, Saldea seems like the best place to proclaim yourself the false dragon because it's, you know, it doesn't seem as uh, populated. It's not as crowded as the southern part of the continent. So I think that's a good location or just in two rivers. Just show up there. All right. Next, they come across Lady Amalisa, Agamar's sister. Moraine and Anaya are very kind to her. They greet her by calling her sister, which is quite the compliment to Amalisa, who has never even been to Tarvalin. Leandrin is kind of like the overly friendly where you know she has a lot of disdain for her but is acting like she doesn't and Amalisa doesn't seem to pick up on it quite away so she's like yeah let's like come join me and my ladies later on we'll have fun and Leandrin's like that would be great I would love that and then this was one of my favorite thoughts that Moraine had she was like Leandrin she makes few friends and none outside the Red Aja certainly never outside of the Aes Sedai she would sooner make friends with a man or a trollic okay that's quite a statement to make about someone this is where the Reds like you could be such a cool Aja like your whole thing is like we are trying to stop men from channeling which is a good goal based on Very what we valid. know and then they just have to take it a step further of being like, no, we hate men. All men. We hate all men. Also, we're really mean to everyone. And I hate all other Aes Sedai. It's like, you could just have your lane, but you have to also be terrible. Why? Moraine even thinks, she's like, Moraine was not sure Leandrin saw much difference between men and Trollocs. She was not sure any of the Red Aja did. So, like, what's their problem? Well, truly, especially because how we know Elida reaction to Rand. He shows up, she has this foretelling, this is an eye of the world, and then immediately is is hunting him. <laughs> I know. She literally went immediately into playing the most dangerous game. It's like, I can hunt any human, yeah. I'll find you. And she almost does. Yeah. Luckily Moraine got there in time to spirit him away. Master fucking They didn't go out through yeah. the ways. Oh oh yeah. He came through. Let's just say, I'm not sure if this is gonna come up later or not, but like shout out again to Master Basil Gill for dealing with Elida when she came to his inn. Everyone else who isn't Aes Sedai might as well be pieces on a stone board as far as she is concerned, Elida. Luckily for him, the innkeeper, one Master Gill, as I remember, apparently thinks much of Aes Sedai, and so answered her questions to her satisfaction. Elida actually spoke well of him. Wow. Damn. He's amazing, as per usual. 
Throughout all this, Moraine is wondering what Leandrin is up to because she notices her being too sweet to Amelisa. She's like, this is sus, okay? And here's the, like, internal politicking going on in Moraine's head. Let's just briefly touch on the moment where Moraine sees Egwene and Rand because I loved this. I love when Robert Jordan connects the timelines and you can be like, oh, this is when that was happening. Because last time we saw Egwene and Rand, they were down in, like, the basement of the keep, essentially. And had just decided to go up to the women's apartment. So it's fun to kind of flash forward and see them actually going through with their plan. And Rand, poor Rand, is just always hiding somewhere. I feel like Moraine knows exactly what's happening. And she's like, yeah, that's what I wondered, too. As long as no other Aes Sedai knows, you know? Yeah, exactly. The next bit of rumor is about Andor, Camelin, and the queen and daughter heir. This is one of my favorite parts of the first book. This whole like royal oh, yeah, family me meeting in Tarvalon because the last time we were talking about the queen and the daughter Elaine, her daughter, her heir, and Gawain, the brother and son, they were on their way to Tarvalon, and I had some predictions surrounding this, like they were going to be attacked on the way, or they weren't going to make it to Tarvalon, and I also thought it was super weird that both Elaine and her party were going up with Loghain. Like, they kind of were, like, traveling at the same time, and I was like, something really bad's going to happen. So I was pleased to know, getting the confirmation here, that they did indeed make it to Tarvalon, because I did not think that they were going to. It was not an easy journey, though. You weren't wrong that something was going to happen along the way, because it turns out there's a crazed pack of white cloaks following them <laughs> from Cavelin. Well, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and now they're camping outside of Tarvalon. Okay, they're literally feral. They followed them all the way to Tarvalon. What are they accomplishing here? They're just camping outside the place that they hate. Tarvalon being an island, like they're literally just like on the mainland, just like we're waiting. <laughs> we got them, guys. <laughs> they're scared. To the all the white cloaks, just back the fuck off. Also, why don't you go to Tarbon since they're clearly amassing there? So leave. I know. Yeah, they're just in the wrong spot. But they also left more camping outside Camelin, and they're spreading rumors that the White Tower and the Queen by association is responsible for all the troubles that the city's been having lately, contributing more to the unrest in Camelin. This was the other part that they were saying the street riots have calmed down a little bit once spring came, thank God, because people were like, ah, we can start having food again. That's great. <laughs> yeah. As people do, they tend to blame the scapegoat for the long winter. They're like, who controls the weather? Definitely the queen right. and definitely the white tower. They, for some reason, made the winter super long and we hate them now for that because that was rough. Is something wrong? Sounds like a woman's problem, so <laughs> I'm a white cloak. Yeah. Hi, I'm sorry. Queen more gays? More like queef more gays. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> I'm cutting that. <laughs> Do you think they know what queefs are in this world? No, no, it's really hidden. I mean, Tarvalon does, for sure, but not outside the world. I do want to mention on a serious note, I guess, is that the White Cloaks, as we learn later from Geofram's chapter, I don't give a shit that I'm mispronouncing his name. His name is Geofram. Get a better name. Get a fucking name. If you want Jeffram, spell it Jeffram. Okay, for me, it's Geofram. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. Came in strong. But we know that... He was in Camelin, and then he was summoned to Tarbon. And he even says, Queen Morghese is fragile. Like, we could really make some moves here, implying that just like Tarvalin and the Aes Sedai, 
white cloaks are just as in the politics as all these other groups oh, yeah. are as well. And they clearly have been out to get more gays for a long time because of her association and her close friendship with the Aes Sedai. Because it's later mentioned, I'm not sure by whom, that most rulers have an Aes Sedai advisor, but Morghese is really the only one that openly admits it, which is like so classic of like world leaders. It's like, we hate you and I'm scared of you, but I need you. Don't say anything. Yeah, let's pretend you're not Aes Sedai, okay? You can go hang out in the back room there and I'll like come talk to you when I need you. And But like, you're so important to me. Please don't leave. Don't tell anyone about this it would just like be weird for us it would ruin what we have and what we have is so great <laughs> you don't need to tell anyone we don't need labels on this truly it's that <laughs> one other thing i want to talk about in terms of this is Morghese's history with the white tower so she like other daughter heirs went to go train in tarvalin when she was younger but couldn't become a full sister because she wasn't strong enough it also is implied that she would never break the tradition of sending a daughter heir to Tarvalin because it seems like that's just important to her to keep that connection because she, they're almost implying that she like wished she could have become a full sister and is kind of pining over that a little bit and that's why she really likes to keep her ties strong and to contribute to that even more, Elaine is apparently very strong in the power too. She would be one of the only queens ever to become a full Aes Sedai in Camelin, and pretty much the only one to admit to it, potentially. Queen Morghese and uh, Elaine simultaneously want to become Aes Sedai, but we're also told that rulers who either use Aes Sedai or are Aes Sedai have lived to regret it. So it's just like, it's something that they want, but not really. I, well, I guess that's the whole interesting conflict of this book series. People want to have the power of these wizards, but they don't, and then it then that stems jealousy and hatred. Right. it's also kind of bad. With great power comes great responsibility. It's like, you know, I want to be this powerful, but then also I'm responsible for all this other stuff. Double-edged sword? Is that the term? <laughs> it's a triple-edged sword. It's a triangular sword. So picture a sword. Now it's a fire bow. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fire bows. Okay, real quick, some of the other rumors from Anaya and Leandrin. So, the great hunt for the horn has been called an Ilian. That's funny because they're looking for the thing that's already been found now, and there's no fucking way they could have ever found it if they were trying. No. But, you know, it doesn't matter to them. They're having a great time making new stories and stuff. Yeah. We also hear about the Sea Folk, also known as the Atha'an Mier. They're agitated. They're looking for their chosen one that they call the Koromor, but they won't say much else. Or I don't think they've even said that out loud. I think just some Aes Sedai sisters have kind of sussed it out from what's been going on. Okay. Uh, they're very secretive. The Aiel, who are also very secretive, are stirring too, but we don't get too much detail about that besides the fact it's not quite the stirring like the Aiel war, so don't <laughs> worry about that. But they're doing something. And then finally, Leandrin mentions that there's rumors of Almuth Plain and fighting, and faint whispers of fighting, maybe on Toman Head. Mo thinks it's between Terabon and Eridoman because they've fought over Almuth Plain in the past. If you remember in the prologue, we saw one woman who is from Eridoman. She's a Domani woman who they kind of wear like sheer clothing. They're like more sensual. So that's all on the Western Shore. There's some kind of something going on over there. But that's all we hear about it. Okay. 
So now this kind of leads us into meeting the new Aes Sedai, going to the Omerlin. There was one fun moment, another red versus blue moment that I want to touch on, where Leandrin tries to throw shade at Moraine because they're like having, they're just conversing and Leandrin's like annoyed by this. So she says, enough idle talk. For you, the Omerlin will have no idle talk. <laughs> and then she throws open the door for Moraine to walk through to go be chastised by the Omerlin or something. And then Moraine just acts like, Leandrin's holding the door for her, like, kindly. And <laughs> Leandrin gets so pissed. It's The pettiness is just off the charts, and I love it. And Moraine casually thinks to herself, like, hmm, what is Leandrin up to? Yeah, what happened between those two when they were novices? If I was Leandrin or I was Red, I would also hate Moraine, too. It's like, okay, so this one I said I just gets to go off and do whatever for 20 years and no one says anything. Yeah, and she's got an angry all, which is pretty rare and like why does she get to have it when no one else does i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry you're not hermione granger you don't just get to have things from the ministry fuck off okay <laughs> except she is we meet five more Aes Sedai. we get varin of the brown aja she's sketching or taking notes about a flower blossom which is cool we also get seraphel another brown aja she's reading an old book classic we get an unnamed yellow sister sorry to her <laughs> We get Carlinia, who is from the White Aja. She's cold of manner. And then finally we meet Alana of the Green, who's described as fiery. We don't hear too much from them. No one responds to Moraine as she says, how do you do? Yep. That's real <laughs> awkward. And then enter Liana, who takes Moraine back to meet with the Omerlin himself. All right, so real quick overview on what we know of the Ajas so far. The blue are kind of spy-like. They have something to do with, like, justice and spying and knowing things around the world or doing good or something like that. The red, they are two policemen who can channel. The browns, which we've met for the first time now, are kind of more... If you couldn't tell by the fact that they're reading old books and taking notes on flower blossoms, just about knowledge. And Moraine even talks about it's not uncommon to just have a brown sister not even hear you talking to her because she's so entranced in her book. I mean, dream. Most of them are just real chill book readers. Right. They're like, I could fuck you up with my magic, but I also, like, would rather just read. Like, Harry Potter's cool, so, you know, it's fine. I, like, gotta finish this chapter, though, so, like, maybe I'll do something about you after this. I also want Loyal to be Brown Asha, if that's a possibility. Oh, hell yeah. Maybe make an exception, just because, like, he would actually have something to do, and he would fucking thrive as a brown Asha. Oh my god, can you imagine him in the libraries of Tar Valen? Like, he would, I think, have a conniption. We wouldn't see him for 30 years, slash two days in, <laughs> True. His, in yeah. his timeline. It doesn't matter that he's, he identifies as a male. He doesn't have to channel. He only has to read books. Just make an exception. It's fine. Give yeah. Loyal something he's to no do. He's no gear. The meeting with the Amerlin begins. We already kind of know her at this point. Her name is Suan Sanche. Her height is medium, thank you, Robert Jordan. She was born in Tyr, raised by a fisher. She was raised by the Hall of the Tower to the Amerlin seat ten years ago, and as the Amerlin wears a rainbow stole as opposed to a shawl to represent all Anjas and none. She is of all of them and none. She's described as... Her face held a strength that had been there before her elevation to the Omerlin seat. The strength of a girl who had survived the streets of the Mall, Tyr's port district, and her clear blue gaze had made kings and queens, and even the captain commander of the Children of the Light, 
drop their eyes. I thought that was a big flex. Okay, even the children of the light will respect her. That's impressive. So Moraine walks into the room with this Omerlin, and everyone's mad at her. The Omerlin's even mad at her. Liana's in here to witness it all. It's probably not going to go great for Moraine. Suan immediately goes into, like, what the fuck is your problem? Why are you here? We had to rush here? <laughs> Apparently, the Aes Sedai, they sailed up the river to Faldara, using their powers to speed them up through, like, pushing the water and also making wind, and they literally flooded, like, every town along their way here. Giving great impressions to the locals, let's just say. Wonder why people aren't really jazzed about Aes Sedai, so. Yeah. Swan immediately goes into, like, hey, we got a problem because Elida is no longer in Camelin, which is, like, messed up because she's the queen's advisor and has been for a long time, and the queen in Camelin always has an Aes Sedai advisor because she's pissed at you, Moraine, all right? You are the cause of all of my problems. And apparently the Red Sisters are swollen up like pufffish because they found Elaine who is going to be a very powerful Aes Sedai one day, so, like, you kind of get credit for the people that you recruit in, like, pyramid scheme, you know? Does Lorraine have a few up her sleeve? Let me tell you. I know, yeah. I This was another red versus blue moment for me, where the Omerlin mentions, like, oh, the reds have this really powerful recruit. Like, we gotta balance the scales a little bit. And Moe's like, oh, well, I gotcha, because we got two. Okay, so now we're back on top. We got Egwene and Nynaeve, so no worries there. Is the assumption that because Elida, quote-unquote, discovered Elaine, that she would automatically be red? Yeah. The decision always is on the individual person, right? Like, they can never be told to be in one. Okay. No. So they're just kind of, like, speculating. Right. Yeah, they're kind of speculating. They're hoping because Elida's her only exposure, really, to Aes Sedai at this point. So, like, it might feel natural to follow in her footsteps or something. I don't know. Like, did they not see Elaine having a crush on Rand? Like, she's never going to be a Red Aja. No, absolutely not. And, yeah, Moraine, like, mentions that. It's not even, like, oh, they have a passion for, like, I don't know, policing the world and, like, making sure men are safe and other people are safe for men who can channel it's always like do you like men at all at all (laughs) at all they don't it's like the majority don't it's not even like do you like them it's like do you even have an interest would you even like sniff at a man and the red are like who no dead kill kill dead that eliminate yeah (laughs) uh it's a trollic someone get the rat poison why is that thing still alive i sense a penis sorry no i'm sorry dick absolutely not no I live on Vagina Island, okay? Get away from me. Phallic Town, Dragon Mount, that's over there, (laughs) okay? Yeah, let's not address the fact that our tower is a giant white phallic object, okay? So keep in mind that at this point, Liana's in the room, Moraine and Swan, who have this secret thing going on, even Liana, the number two woman for the Omerlin, doesn't know. So they have to put on airs a little bit, be like, all right, We're all blues here, technically, even though we're not. We're all kind of on the same page, but also you're kind of, like, in trouble. And it's even gone as far within the White Tower that Moraine is potentially looking at a punishment for going off on her own and doing weird things that no one really knows what she's doing. And punishments for Aes Sedai means hard labor on a farm somewhere, which is just 
hilarious to me. The punishment section, I was like, what are they actually trying to tell her to do? So in my head, I thought that the punishment was like, because Moraine mentions like, you know, I'm, I'm better than like tilling vegetables, which is like a wild thing to say. Yeah. When you're the one being punished, you do not get to dictate terms, okay? Okay, you could be sent to a farm to like pick zucchini. And then also the Red Sisters are going to like beat you with a switch. <laughs> Is this some fucked up summer camp? This is horrible. I mean, I guess pretty much good punishment. Yeah. This apparently is how Aes Sedai punish each other is with hard labor because they look down upon that, which is just a great message to send. Thank you. They're not pompous at all. And I love how Moraine was like, oh, psh, I'm never going to go to any farm anyway. Whatever. That's not a big deal. Like they can threaten me with that. It's fine. And then Swan's like, no, they're threatening you with like a red Aja looking over you while you're there and Maureen's like oh okay that would actually be really bad (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that the green Aja and the red Aja are agreeing on this is also a huge problem because they are another Aja that would never in the past agreed with red okay so you can tell that there's some stuff going on in the white tower that's not great I have a question just about the setting so it's mentioned a couple time about the sitters and I know that's like representatives from each Aja, are they actually in the room with Moraine and... Oh, they're not. Okay, sometimes the the text makes it seem like... It says the Red Sitters try to appear surprised, but maybe, like, that's Amerlin, like, looking back. Yeah, I think she's reflecting on a past time because... The sitters are present when the Hall of the Tower meets, which is the Amerlin and the sitters all kind of like deciding things together. Because even though okay. the Amerlin technically is the leader of the White Tower, she, alongside the sitters for each Aja, kind of make the big decisions and they all have to agree on things. Eventually, we'll like see a little bit more into that. And it's a really interesting kind of way to decide things. Yeah, alliances are forming in there, and they're kind of forming against the Amarlin herself. It seems like even Swan's influence is being questioned in the White Tower. So anyway, this chapter ends with the Amarlin sending Leanne away. Or not Leanne, Liana. They're trying to act like it's because she's about to give it to Moraine, essentially, and no one else can be around for this, so it's like a private, like, shaming moment. <laughs> and I just love how, like, as soon as Liana leaves, they're like, all right, this is great. Hey, bestie, how's it been? Moraine rightly says, like, people are going to start talking immediately. Like, they, they're not going to hear us. They're not going to oh, know yeah. what we're saying, but they know that the Amarlin sent Liana away, which does not happen. And so the speculation will start. If I was Leandrin, once I heard about this, I'd be pissed. It's like, what the fuck yeah. are they planning? Don't let them be alone together. What the fuck are they planning? But then she can't really verbalize that because it's, that's your mother. Yeah. Am I team Leandra? <laughs> oh my God. Is your hatred of Moraine coming back? <laughs> I, maybe a little bit. I mean, I definitely don't hate men to, for the record. No, Leandra, I, I feel you, girl. All right. Yeah. I mean, it is sussy. She has valid reasons of being suspicious of Moraine. And like since she clearly like gets off on gentling men, she's like, I'm sorry, Moraine, do you have a you have three men with you? I'm sorry, that sounds like a treat. Tingly! Oh my god. (laughs) One of them has yellow eyes? Oh my god. Oh my god. Perfect. Unique one? Oh, that's that's different. Alright. But chapter five starts off with a discussion around stilling. So how much do we remember about stilling? I've only heard of stilling from the show i remember 
when we heard it in the show, what I had initially thought, go listen back to our uh, Wheel of Time show episodes. If you have not, what I thought is just meant that like we would be stopped because of how Swan says it, like, you know, this is so serious, we would be stilled. Uh, and then obviously it's explained here that it just means gentled. I wonder why they're using a different term, though. I wonder if it has something to do with women channeling Sidar and men cha- channeling Sidine, that like it, how it's pulled away from you is different. How the show made it look when Loghain was gentled, it was almost like there was this black wisp of web inside of him and it was pulled out. It was kind of almost like a butterfly wing opening up, like it came it out was, of him. It was, yeah. And it looked really cool, but I, I just wonder that the process of stilling slash gentling, those two things are so different. That's why they get different names. Because I'm just like, why not just call it gentling? A big difference in the naming is definitely the context around it. Because a man, you're like, if he's channeling, then he needs to be like pacified because he's about to go crazy, right? Versus a woman, this should never happen. Like every single novice of the White Tower memorizes the name of every single Aes Sedai who has ever been stilled like that's how rare it happens you can memorize every single name it just shouldn't happen because it's so horrific to them like it's basically a death sentence and when you get stilled it's described in this chapter as you're cut off from the true source but you can still feel that it's there but you can never touch it and like how horrible would that be like imagine you got your favorite snack in the other room and you're hungry but you can't get to your snack but you know it's there and you're just wishing that you had the fucking snack but you can't get to it like how long would you survive my bin of goldfish is in there it's like a full box if i couldn't get to it i would be out straight up done yeah you couldn't yeah it's not worth anything as we later find out the two Amerlins who are stilled they end up working in like the fucking kitchen so it's not only that you're stilled and pretty much being sent to death but you're also humiliated um, right, which exactly. i guess has more has more to do with them being armlins rather than just isodai so yes very uh bad no good time not fun time the reason that there's a risk of being stilled is because they're hiding the fact that they're looking for the dragon reborn together and potentially have the dragon reborn but aren't telling anyone so that is a very egregious thing that they're doing. I guess it is, but if we're really thinking about it, is there like, you know, a step-by-step guide of what to do when the Dragon Reborn is identified and located? I don't think we know what to do. I understand like what they're doing is bad in terms of the secrecy. This punishment seems ridiculous. The punishment is coming from them lying instead of, so it's like out of fairness, instead of like what they're doing is actually wrong. Because I think how they're handling this is actually probably for the best. As we know, Rand <laughs> is not ready. Well, yeah. Imagine the drama if every Aes Sedai knew and every person knew that he was the Dragon Reborn. Like, the hullabaloo that would result from that is would be unheard of. But let's get into the two Amarlin who have been stilled, because these are the beginnings, the origins of the red versus blue tensions, I'll say. Because both the Amarlins who have been stilled, these are the only two who have ever been stilled in the past 3,000 years since the breaking of the world. So it's rare. They're both Red Aja, which is real awkward. The first one was Tetsuan. She betrayed Manetherin during the Trollic Wars. So this is 2,000 years ago. Because she was jealous of Elisan's 
power? Elisanda? I don't know. That was the queen of Menethrin who ended up burning the whole city down as a last resort. The Amarlin at the time, Tetsuan, never sent support for Menethrin. This was the reason that she was deposed as Amarlin. But the real kicker for this was that she was replaced by a blue sister. So this is the origins of the red versus blue. The next Amarlin was Bonwin. This was around the time of Archer Hawkwing. Before we get into this, let's do a quick backstory on Archer Hawkwing because he's relevant to this. So we don't know too, too much about him at this point. All we know is he was a really strong Taviran back in the day. He is the only person before or since who has been able to unite the entire like continent that's west of the spine of the world, pretty much. So he was he was building an empire. And the Amarlin at the time, Bonwin, was so far up her own butt that she thought she could puppeteer Arthur Hawkwing, which pissed him off so much that he sieged Tarvalin for 20 years. He literally sat outside and laid siege to the whole city for 20 fucking years because this Amarlin thought she, <laughs> she had the audacity to try to control him or act like she was the ultimate ruler, not him. That's enough to get you still? I mean, he was there for 20 years. He's the ruler of the entire continent, so when he's that pissed at Aes Sedai, I would imagine that that kind of trickles down to the people and most likely contributed to the fact that a lot of people don't trust Aes Sedai right now. It ended up almost destroying all the power that they hold because he was proving to everyone that they're not as powerful as they seem. Like, here's me standing up to them for 20 years and they can't do anything about it, even though I'm not taking over. The kicker here again was a blue sister named Deanne, I'm guessing, discovered damning evidence of Bonwin's incompetence and replaced her as Amarlin. So again, a blue sister replaces the red sister as Amarlin, thus solidifying their rivalry between the two. This is also the reason that there has not been an Amarlin from the red Aja ever since then. So ever since way back in the day, no woman from the Red Aja has become Amarlin, which is, like, kind of crazy, in my opinion. So they're real jealous, and there's a blue uh, sitting on the Amarlin Sea right now. So, of course, tensions are really high when it seems like everything's going to shit, and there's false dragons everywhere. Everyone's real angry. And their term is for life, right? Yeah. It's your whole life, you're Amarlin. Yeah, so there's I not an so. opportunity Unless you to, step like, down. re-elect. Right, okay. And they live... A long ass time. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about that because I think Rand says it. It's like all I said I have that like ageless look. And I'm like, is that something that is actually real that they're not aging themselves? Or is it just like because I said I just look so powerful that Rand's like, they look young. No, so this is actually a telltale sign of an I Sedai. It's very subtle. But it's usually described as, like, when you see a woman and at first she looks like she's in her 20s. Full adult, but kind of young. And then you talk to her and she seems, like, older than 20s. So you think, like, maybe up to 40 or something. But you can't really tell how old she is. That's the agelessness. It's basically, like, Botox. <laughs> That's probably why Tom Gleeman was able to figure out Moraine in Emmett's field. Oh, probably. absolutely. Yeah, he could see her face. Yeah. Look at that. Full circle, yes. So Swan ends up needing to get like a little fire put back into her because all of this infighting is really 
stressing her out. She's been alone amongst all these Aes Sedai who are questioning her and questioning why Moraine is out, and she can't fend Moraine because no one can know why Moraine is out and about. So it just is looking really bad on her. She's super stressed. <laughs> Luckily, Moraine is able to get her back on track and they talk about their plans. And we get this really cool tidbit where we hear that Suan actually saw Rand in the crowd during the I welcome. I love this, yes. I love this too because Rand is trying so hard to be not noticed. And we he even mentions that Suan's eyes kind of like go past him and they don't stop or anything. Like how she did that without staring at Rand is beyond me. Like that takes talent. But apparently... The Omerlin seat, Suan Sanche, has a talent, capital T, where she can see Taviran. And the stronger Taviran they are, the brighter they glow. And she said Rand has blazed like the sun, which is just awesome. Her reaction to seeing Rand was my favorite, because I feel like it just encapsulates everything mm -hmm. that's going on right now. All the emotions that normal people would feel to knowing the Dragon Reborn is reborn again. She said, I've seldom been afraid in my life, but the sight of him made me afraid right down to my toes. I wanted to cower, to howl. I could barely speak. Agalmar thought I was angry with him, I said so little. That young man, he's the one we have sought these 20 years. Oh, yes, he is. Even then, she needs confirmation from Moraine. Like, can he, can he channel? Randall Thor is the Dragon Reborn. Like, smash cut to Rand, and he's, like, with Egwene, like, <laughs> you think they're yeah. gonna find me? <laughs> <laughs> Can you get me some milk, maybe? He is the Dragon Reborn, all right? He's my guy, all right? We love him. Listen, he's doing as best as he can. Moraine gives Swan all the information about, you know, oh, the, the seal to the Dark One's prison is broken now, and... Uh, here's the Horn of Valir, so really the last battle is like pretty much on our doorstep. We have almost no time, but it's fine. Dragon Reborn, though, is around. Yeah, so that's good. That's a good thing, probably, hopefully. And uh, what are we going to do with him? Let's discuss. So, as Moraine notes, the whole reason she's been ignoring Rand this whole time is to avoid triggering the Manetherin stubbornness, which I love that she's realized this is how she has to do it now. She's like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I can't tell him what to do. Otherwise, he's going to do the exact opposite. He's like a feral cat that you're trying to tame. Like, you've got to ignore his presence, pretend he's not there until he's, you know, more used to your presence. Okay? It'll be fine in a couple weeks. Let him come months. to us. Let him loose on the world with his best friends, they'll just bring the Horn of Valir to Ilion, and I'll be there to greet him when he desperately needs me after traveling across an entire continent, you know? It'll be fun. I actually love this plan for Matt and Perrin, that she's like, I'm gonna send them to Ilion with the Horn of Valir, like, they'll be fine. Crazy to trust those two with something as important <laughs> as this, but like, it gets yeah. them out of the way, and then, yeah, I guess Rand's gonna go with them. That's kind of what they think is happening. Yeah, they're like, okay, we got three, like, 19-year-old boys. What do they love to do? Not be around parents, be away from any kind of responsibility, which they can't quite escape from, but, like, hashtag road trip across the continent to go see another great city and away from Aes Sedai. Obviously, they're gonna jump on that. Trollocs? I feel are definitely still a thing and <laughs> yeah. they would be followed 
Oh, yes. So that brings up a great point, actually. Remember how oh, okay, Moraine cool. had Rand's clothes burned, and he said that she was going to do the same to Matt and Perrin. Apparently, this was because she's suspicious of anyone who's had their hands on their clothes at this point, that they could be tracking them somehow. So she's like, I'm going to just burn them all. Fuck your feelings about home and anything that you love, and especially those boots. Get rid of them. Yeah, fuck those boots. They're fine. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to cleanse them before they go. They won't even know it. And the only other thing that could track them is down in the dungeons. Swan, you don't need to know about that. Let's just let's just forget about that. You're already high stress. We're not talking about him. Okay. Yeah, he's a little, he's a gremlin. We don't need to acknowledge that. It'll be fine. You know, they've kind of learned how to fight off Trollocs. Yeah, Matt has a dagger, Perrin has yellow eyes, and Rand keeps talking about a sword. Never really seen him use it, but he <laughs> yeah. claims that it's his dad. I'm not sure, so. Who knows what's going through that ginger's head, <laughs> let's be honest. But pretty much a foolproof plan. Yeah. So that's where we leave it. With them, Moraine leaves the room. She tries to look shamed as she uh, exits <laughs> for everyone else's benefit. You know, act like she just got yelled at or something but ends up only looking mad because she doesn't know how to feel shame which i loved yeah <laughs> imagine uh. i know imagine and then we change scenes to the white cloaks we got Ge geofram back in action yes he is currently leading 2,000 White Cloaks secretly through Terabon to a town called Alcruna, where he's meeting someone. It turns out he's meeting questioners there. But before we get into that, we have a flashback with Geofram's meeting with the Lord Captain Commander of the White Cloaks, Pedron Nial, who was giving him the command to go to, go to Terabon and pull out of Camelin. Bornhold didn't really like this, and he kept questioning the Lord Captain Commander, like, why am I doing this? What's the reason we should be staying in Camelin because the Queen's about to be toppled? Like, this could be great. Also, my son has a lot of zeal, and he's now left alone with even Valda, and that's like, he's why feral. Why do you care so much about zeal with the Children of the Light? They're really into zeal. We don't care Yeah, I don't know. This. It's like their term, and they just, they're like, we coined this term. We have to use it at least 20 times a day to get our money's worth <laughs> off of it, okay? Um, but he's given no answers. Basically, the Lord Captain Commander is just like, do what you're told, don't tell anyone, get your best men, you have to leave tomorrow. Okay? Just do it. I don't care. Also, no one can know that you're traveling through Terabon, and if anyone finds out, you have to kill them. Yeah, so just keep 2,000 White Cloaks. Uh, yeah, but we're the good guys. It's really not hard. I just want to say this quote, because I think this really encapsulates Dark Friends. So this is Bornhold talking to himself. At least I have not killed any innocents. He could be as hard on Dark Friends as any man sworn to the light. Dark Friends must be destroyed before they pulled the whole world under the shadow. But he wanted to be sure they were Dark Friends first. Really, dude? You haven't killed any innocents at all? Never? And you really want to make sure they're Dark Friends first? Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, he's a great judge of character. I'm so happy that you are in this old age and you've never killed an innocent. I'm so proud of you. Don't ask the people he <laughs> killed, though, because they are definitely going to lie and say they were innocent. But he knows they weren't. This is the psycho, like, justification. Like, I walk in the light, I walk in the light. Didn't they do some weird, like, mantra thing when we came upon their camp in Eye of the World? It's like, we walk in the light, the light is up for all good things. Yes! The light, the oh, light, yeah. the light. When Nynaeve is sneaking in to go save Perrin and Egwene, and she's, like, cutting the horse lines. Uh, yeah, that's them patrolling. They're literally not saying it to anyone. They're just saying, like, I walk in the light, and we protect people. And the light protects me. I protect the light. The light protects me, and I protect the light. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. 
Bornhold ends up meeting questioners in the town that he was told to go to. And he's like, what the fuck? Because even white cloaks don't like white cloak questioners. And technically they're not called questioners, they're called the Hand of the Light or something. Also known as like the hand that... The hand that dug out truth? Yes, the hand that dug out the truth. So they're basically the torture board for the white cloak so and if that doesn't make you nervous enough he gets to the town and the questioner he's talking to is like oh yeah great just take your men into the town it's all cleared out for you already and bornhold is like what do you mean cleared out and then he realizes that they quite literally killed the entire town to use as a base of operations for whatever the fuck they're doing in terabon and bornhold is like not only is this horrifying but they're so stupid that I just know they dumped all the bodies in the river. They're going to show up downstream like two days from now and people are going to figure out that we're here. These guys are dumbasses as well as like menaces to society. Listen to what you just said. If there's a huge pile of bodies, people are going to know it's children of the light. <laughs> You're not on the good guy's side. You're not on the good guy's side. What do you mean? We walk in the light. Yo, this town's clear. Don't worry. We checked every nook and cranny. It's totally good. Oh, great. So, like, people are cool. Yeah, we killed everyone. That's what I mean. So. Ignore that. We've got some strangers to deal with on Toman Head. They've got a great force and maybe even Aes Sedai fighting for them or something. And Bornhold says, oh, my God. It's true. Archer Hawkwing's armies have returned. I think this is the first instance we've heard of this where there's some kind of prophecy or like rumor that Archer Hawkwing's armies, they like sailed off into the distance at some point back in the day. And there's a rumor that they will return one day to like claim the land that is rightfully theirs. So Bornhold, this is his immediate first reaction is like that, those strangers, yeah, that's um actually Archer Hawkwing's armies. This is not great for us, I guess. And the questioner's like, no, no, no. They're just strangers. We're not going to call them anything else. Get fucked. And that's kind of where we end this, this scene. The final big scene of this chapter is from Leandrin's perspective, which is just quite a treat to get a look inside her little brain, which is just filled with disdain for everyone that is not her. So Leandrin's going down to Lady Amelisa's chambers to go chill with the girls as she was invited to do, although it is like the night of that they talked about this. So Amelisa's not expecting her. She got the dates wrong. Unfortunately for Amelisa, not only is Leandrin just obnoxious and hates everyone, but Amelisa has made the mistake of reading a book about how men and women are supposed to interact with each other. Basically like a raunchy, like, sexual book, Girl. I'm pretty sure, talking about men and women. <laughs> Leandrin is so unamused that she fucking burns this book. <laughs> She, she takes Amelisa's property and burns it. It's the dance of the hawk and the hummingbird, okay? It's just a silly little book. Who cares? But Leandrin has no chill. And she does some um, pretty questionable things to Amelisa here. What, what was your impression of this scene? Because, like, what do you... Can you give me a summary of what you think is going on? Okay, so it seems like... Because we get this, I guess, reveal, like, at the end that, like, there are black... Aja, which Black Aja are dark friends that are Aes Sedai. And we know that these people actually exist because Aes Sedai were definitely in the prologue. Leandrin, because she's kind of 
mean to everyone. It's like she's almost warning Amalisa, but also kind of threatening her because Amalisa's like, oh, okay, well, will you protect me? And she's like, yeah, just beware. They're going to be around, right. so just beware. So I honestly, like, first time reading this, I was like, okay, is Leandrin also a part of, like, the Dark Friends? Like, I don't really think she's Black Asha, but, like, it seems like she knows more than she's leading on. And also, is she just saying shit to make people scared? I, that's what I feel like she's doing. So the one thing I want to point out here, because I feel like this scene is one that you should just return to and, like, reread once we oh, understand okay. a lot hit the like these these ending scenes with like Bornhold and and Leandrin and Pat and Fane and stuff are just we're not really supposed to understand what's happening right now but the one thing she mentions is that she has her own childhood trick that she likes to use similar to how Moraine has a childhood trick about listening to people Leandrin does something to Lady Amelisa during this that she just describes as her little trick. Basically, this whole time, Leandrin's just trying to, like, knock Amalisa off balance here to try to get her to do what she wants her to do, which is search for the boys. So, at one point, she lashes out with the one power, and Amalisa gasps and gives a jerk as if she had been pricked with a needle, and, and Leandrin's petulant mouth perks in a smile. This is her own special trick trick from childhood, the first learned of her abilities. It had been forbidden to her as soon as the Mistress of Novices discovered it, but to Leandrin that only meant one more thing she needed to conceal from those who were jealous of her. Love that. <laughs> Just so... Okay, they're jealous? Time to ramp this up, yeah. Further down, Leandrin's thinking to herself it was not a perfect ability. Leandrin could not force anyone to do what she wanted, though she had tried. <laughs> Oh, how she yeah. tried. Oh, okay. But she could open them wide to her arguments, make them want to believe her, want more than anything to be convinced of her rightness. So this whole time she's saying, obey, obey me. By the way, there's Black Aja. Obey me, obey me. Maybe your brother's a dark friend. Obey me, obey me. There's bad stuff going on. Moraine's talking to dark friends too, down in the dungeons. Obey me, obey me. Uh, Go find the three boys that Moraine brought with her. That is your goal right now, and you have to do that. And she leaves the room with Amelisa thoroughly convinced <laughs> to do as she's told. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to Balzi, what he was doing to them. It seems like her, her trick is basically, like, some level of, like, per this is how I'm interpreting it, some level of, like, paralysis, and then she's able to, like, hold their chin up. But as she says, it's like, I can't force anyone to do anything, but I can, like, kind of hold them in a way where they are forced to at least listen to me. And Amalisa seems, compared to other people, especially compared to Aes Sedai, sort of more gullible, more willing to trust, and especially being Aes Sedai, because that's what she wants. Like, she's going to want to listen to her. Yeah. She kind of looks up to them in a way. Like, she was so honored to be called sister by Moraine and Anaya earlier that like of course she's gonna trust anything that any Aes Sedai says especially when there's threats of the Black Aja being real and maybe her brother's a dark friend or maybe Moraine has been meeting with dark friends or every everyone's bad like who knows what's going on there's danger afoot anyone's a dark friend it's just the easiest thing to throw out like yeah probably all dark friends Right, yeah, it's just like, you know, see that guy over there, he, uh, he has something I want. He's a dark friend. But we only make sure before we kill innocents, okay? Right, Think right, about definitely. It. We make sure by knowing our, how we feel about them 
that's how he makes sure. So yeah, that's an interesting scene for sure. So Leandra, the only reason she brought up, I thought Black Asha was kind of like the point of this, but like, it seems like the only reason she brought up Black Asha was just to threaten and scare Amelisa into doing what she wants, but she doesn't, she's like, they're probably not real. Even though we do know that Black Asha are a real thing. I prefer more just like Aes Sedai that are dark friends. Like, do we really need to put them into an Asha? Because I feel like, I feel like that's <laughs> I know, taking yeah. away from the fact that they're definitely just red Asha. Just say that they're red Asha, because we know that they are. <laughs> so we don't have to say they're black Asha. Aww. I'm sorry. Leandra, I'm sorry, but like the precedent's there. This whole chapter was about how your girls from the red are being stilled. And now we're talking about black Asha. Girl, they're reds. They're reds. Okay, stop threatening people. Stop it. She would be great child of the light if she wasn't Aes Sedai. Let me tell you. That's very true. Would they take her on? Maybe she could be an intern for them. Who knows? But the real question here is, what the heck is she up to? What's her plans? This is more Aes Sedai politicking. There's stuff going on. I love how even though we're in her head, we still don't know what her plans are. Same for Moraine. It's like, somehow they don't even think about their own freaking secrets. And it's like, can you just... Give me a little hint, please. I would love a little scrumptial. Even Bors, who thought that he was, like, commanding his brain so well, like, <laughs> revealed yeah. so much. To me, from what I know about Leontra and what I know about Red Aja, it seems pretty straightforward. She wants the boys so that she can figure them out, so that she can gentle them. Because she says in this chapter, I hunt all men corrupted. That's how Leandrin described her goal. I love how it's not all men who can channel, all men who... I don't know, maybe our threats, but all men who are corrupted. So I feel like the three she seeks, because they have been associated with Moraine, you're corrupt. Yeah. Oh, 100%. That's what it seems like her goal is, but you're right. I think she is also a person that 100% is not as smart as she thinks she is type of person. So, like, she thinks that she can, like, scheme and politic up there with Moraine and Swan. In reality, she's like, I literally have to, like, threaten the meekest person in all of Faldara to get her to do one fucking thing for me. So, it'll be interesting to come back to this, though. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and then on to the very last scene, which is only a couple paragraphs long for this chapter. We're back with Ped and Fane, our favorite dark friend and peddler. He's down in his cell. He's chilling and actually it sounds like he's having a great time. Like he's like, I'm limber as hell. I could go run a mile right now if I wanted to. He's waiting for something, but not much longer, he thinks to himself. And then someone opens the outer guard door. Who it is surprises Fane. He says, you, not who I expected. He's stretched with a casualness he did not feel. Blood raced through his veins. He thought he could leap over the keep if he tried. Surprises for everyone, eh? Well, come on. The night's getting old, and I want some sleep sometime. And then he says, It isn't over yet, he whispered. The battle's never over. Yeah, because I thought that was super interesting. You, not who I expected. Like, you, Pat and Fane recognizes this person, but it's not. Who are you expecting? You think Ballsy's gonna just show up to you? <laughs> Absolutely That would not. be amazing. That would be awesome, yeah. This was, whew, this was a busy Ugh. one. It was. We have, like, so many more mysteries going on. Like, what are the White Cloaks doing? What is Leandrin up to? 
who was with Pat and Fane? What's going on with that? That's just in Faldara. Like, and that, well, outside of the Children of the Light. But yeah, so we've got Children of the Light. Arthur Hawkwing's armies are returning? I'm sorry. Sea folk are around. And right. then Tar Valen does not seem like a fun place to be right now. And we're going to throw Matt. Well, oh, that was something else that uh, I wanted to mention in this. Ma- uh, Moraine says that Matt can actually be cured. Oh, yeah. The connection between him and the Shadar Logoth dagger can be severed here because there's enough sisters to do it. And so Moraine says she only needs her swan and Liana, Liana and one other person. So I, I was going to say, like, Matt and Perrin and Egwene, they're all going to go to Tarvalin, but actually Matt will hopefully be severed of that and then he can go on to Ilion with right. Perrin. This is why Matt. they're assuming that they can all take the horn to Ilion because Matt will be able to travel without, you know, wreaking havoc with his dagger knife. So, <laughs> yeah. Matt's, you know, he's just chilling. He's going to touch his pocket with a knife in it every once in a while, but then he's going to go gamble and be fine. So, me very excited. That is all. If y'all have questions or would like to reach out, you can do so on our email at coplintalk at gmail.com. Please reach out to us there. And we got a Twitter at Coplin Talks. Sometimes we'll tweet out when episodes go up there and stuff. So give us a follow there. We'll try to communicate when stuff is happening and stuff, you know, stuff on Twitter. Stuff and, on Twitter. Uh, and that is all for the Coplins. Oh, yeah. Coplins out. Coplins out. Great hunting. Coplins out.